One chance, one life, one take. Hello and welcome to the Dead Funny Dead Serious podcast. My name is Mitzi. I am the host of this show, 30 End of Life Doulas in 30 Days, where we highlight both how and why our guests became end of life doulas and hear their challenges and hopes for the field. Today we meet Jenna Wade Pratt from the Bahamas and your business is Cherish Memory Boutique. Welcome, Jenna Wade. Thank you so much for having me here. It is our pleasure to have you here. Let us dive right into why did you become an end-of-life doula? Okay. Um, when I get this, I find myself going down rabbit holes because I realize that when I look back at it now, I realize that um, you don't really decide to be a death doula. It's like the death doula life chose me. And I realized that I was when I was much younger, I was the one who would find um, dead birds and, you know, other animals around the yard. And I would want to bury them. And I was so serious. Like I would have these whole solemn um, funerals with rites and we'd name the animal. And then we, <laughs> I'm laughing now, we'd name the animals and then we would have a moment of silence. And then we would talk about, what their life must have been like. And I, my grandmother's um, tree, she has this beautiful evergreen tree in the front of her yard, pretty much became a, a pet cemetery because of it. And then as I got older, <laughs> really, and as I got older, I think I was, people would call me like, if you, I would only fit in two categories. Either you would call me strange or you would call me interesting because I wasn't the normal, like the regular child. I was a very, very emotional child. And so I, if you cried, I cried. And even that's still me now. Like if someone started crying for, I don't know why they're crying, but I'm crying too. Um, you're, you're laughing. I'm laughing. So I was a very emotional person and somewhere along the line, um, I think about 2008 or so, my great-grandmother, um, she passed away in the hospital, very, very busy public hospital. And when she passed away, no one knew she passed away and she died alone. She'd suffered a stroke and they had rushed her there and she died alone. And I felt so guilty. Like there was nothing that I could have possibly done, but I felt so guilty because I, I, my, my thing from there was no one should die alone. And um, a few, la- few years later, I had a friend who, um, who died. She drowned because CPR wasn't administered properly. And so I found myself doing legacy gifts. So I became a BLS instructor because I wanted people, as many people as I, I could to get to know what it is. So I found myself doing legacy gifts. And then shortly after, um, I've been married for a few years. And in my marriage, I've had four ectopic pregnancies, so four miscarriages. And I realized that here in the country, there are not like proper protocols in place to ensure that a person can mentally um, and and just mentally process things. And so I found myself going into the creative art area to process what I was going through. And um, that's how Cherish Memory Boutique was pretty much born. But in the processing, I realized that I was blessed to be able to be creative. And there were some people who didn't know that it was possible. And so I started offering my services free of charge to family and friends who were grieving, as well as I found that I actually had this gift of um, when I ask a friend or a family member how someone is doing and they are in the process of transitioning and they're taking too long to transition over and I would ask them questions like, why, why do you think so? And then I would tell them things. I would tell them, you know, maybe you just need to let her know it's okay. 
it's okay to go in that, you know? And when I tell them to say these things about a few hours to a day later, the person would definitely transition over. And then that, that's when I realized that this was for me, but I didn't have a name for it. Didn't know what to call it. Um, so I just considered I was either strange or interesting. And, you know, I just dealt with it like that. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that, strange or interesting. Very. And um, then I realized that what I started, I realized at some point it would have, it would have been through this whole COVID situation when COVID had just started or somewhere around April or May, I sat there and I said, okay, Jenna, you're going into COVID. I mean, we're in COVID. And um, when you come out, because, you know, we thought we were coming right out of COVID. <laughs> when you come out, what, what are you going to do? What, what can you say that you did, you know? And so I sat there because I had this anxiety about COVID too, with everyone dying. And I, I sat back and I said, okay, so if I was to die, what would I have left? What could I have, what would I have left in this, in this world? And I remember taking um, a leadership session and on the first day of him talking at the very top of my notebook, I wish I had brought my notebook for you to see it. The very top of my notebook, I literally wrote in big, bold letters, focus on grief, Jenna, because that was the area that I had so much experience in. A few weeks later, I said, you know what, maybe I should do what I told myself to do. And I started researching how I could help in that area. I looked at thanatology. I was interested in gerontology. Um, and so I said, let's see what happens. You know, I prayed about it. And then I started research. It was about 11, 12 o'clock and in the in the evening. And I just said, let me just start looking. You know, I was pr literally praying and looking and I came across a. Lua Arthur's going with Grace Page. And I realized that she had a, an upcoming cohort. And so I said, hey, I mean, it's worth a try. If it's for me, then I'll be there. So I went ahead and I signed up. I mean, like panicking because I'm like, I'm really going to do this. I am seriously going to do this. And then at the same time, because culture is so interesting, it's like these people are going to think that I'm dabbling in some sort of witchcraft or they're going to think that because when you say death doula here in the Bahamas, it's like, you know, my husband calls me death's assistant. <laughs> that's because that's his inside joke he's like oh you're death's assistant and i'm like you can't be telling people that when they ask you what i do it you can't say oh my wife's death's assistant so here i have to say i am an end of life doula and then when they ask me but lately just for kicks when people ask me what i do i say oh i'm a death doula and that's exactly the look <laughs> I like that. I, you're sassy. <laughs> and it's interesting that your husband has that point of view because it is. It's kind of being death's assistant, but not in the, the witchcraft way or the... Not in the macabre way. Macabre way. Unless you want it to be, unless you're directly trying to do that for your sure. niche, for your career. Right. But and see, here... I can't, I can't do that because um, we are, okay, firstly, like I, I was, I always tell people, you know, 
the Bahamas is a Christian nation, first and foremost. Yes, we do have other religions, et cetera, but we were built on Christian principles. And because of that, um, you'd even hear people who are not Christian, you'd hear them as they're talking, they say, oh, thank God. Or, you know, you'll hear them quoting a biblical scripture just because it's so ingrained in us um, growing up. And so um, I have to be very careful when I say certain things here due to the fact that um, we still have that tra those traditional values that we're holding on to. And so when I say things, I have to be very careful. When I say I when I say death doula, they look at me like, you know, like where's she going with where's she really going with this? And so that has been a challenge in a way in, in, in with regard to ensuring that when I present what I do and when I present the the opportunity, I have to a lot of the words that I would normally use comfortably among my end of life um, colleagues, I can't use there. So it's kind of liberating when I'm talking to my colleagues. But then I, when I get back back to reality, I have to be very, very careful about how I say it. Because over here, if you start asking someone if they have their will together, they think that you are preparing them for death. Like literally, like, why are you asking me if I have my will? What are, what are the plans? So we are very interesting, very interesting. And I love it for the challenge in that regard. Um, but then sometimes it, it could get frustrating because I know that that's something now that I have to um, delve into before I can really offer the service. Keeping the culture in mind and knowing your audience is really important. And I, you reached out and we spoke. And the reason that I'm recording with you, I was trying to get the, the, the width. Of, and the breadth of all these end-of-life doulas and all these different places with all these different backgrounds, with all these different reasons for joining the field. And you said you were the first or only end-of-life doula in the Bahamas. Is that correct? And I thought... Right. At, at this... Oh, sorry. Yeah. I thought it has to come with challenges and hope. Right. To if you're the right. first one doing it, I, I was like, oh, those challenges and hopes are going to be good. And I'm already hearing some of it. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a challenge with the culture. What other challenges have you found? Um, another challenge um, that I've, I'm realizing here when it comes to being a death doula in the Bahamas, you know, the first one is explaining what it is every and you have some people who are very intrigued by it, which is which is exciting for me, um, because when I explain it, I have people who say, oh, yay, where were you when I needed you, you know, um, but my challenges can range from just com just completely understanding what it is that I do and um, and I do it in a creative way. So it kind of lends to, you know, the the hope for the challenge. But another challenge, I, I'm going to see, because I'm a very hopeful person. And so whenever I think of a challenge, I automatically like knock it out. And I'm like, nah, that's not a challenge because I want to do this. So um, another challenge would really be reaching the breadth and the, the whole scope, um, reaching everyone in the country, because we are 700 islands, 300 keys, um, about 17 islands inhabited. And so being able to, in, in this time of COVID, being able to travel, back and forth is one challenge because you're traveling inter-island and then also um like i said getting the information out there that this is a service that's possible as well as just um trying to keep a steady focus on what i'm doing but because i'm the only person here i actually can go into so many different tangents um and i'm a creative and creatives don't keep still and 
when I find like when I hit a roadblock with something, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll come back to that particular aspect of it. And um, let me go on this aspect of it. And there are so many aspects that have that are completely untouched. And so sometimes I feel like I'm a spinning top because I want to deal with all the areas at one time. And it's, it's, it's impossible. That is the curse of the creative person, isn't it? So many spinning tops. So you touched on the fact that there are 700 islands. I did not know that. 17 inhabited islands. And if you are the first in this field to be doing the work, why is that? Okay. Um, with, with, the, with the islands, the history is, is such a beautiful history when it comes to how we care for our dead, especially on what we call the family of islands. So we're all, we consider all of our islands a family of islands. You'd also have persons say out islands because it's outside of certain, um, certain scopes. Okay, so I'm the first like completely labeled, titled end of life doula. And I'm the only one here in the country that's titled end of life doula. However, they've been doing it for so long without a title. There was it was just something that they did. It was a part of life. It was a, it was tradition, and so in the family of islands, there was a lot of situations and opportunities where there were no doctors. Sometimes the doctors would literally travel from island to island. So doctors would stay on one island for maybe a year or two years, and then they would travel to another island for a year or two years. And so Bahamian people are very resilient and very innovative. And so what they did, if whenever you come over, because you're definitely coming over, <laughs> I'm going to introduce you to bush medicine. So what they did was the doctors weren't there. And so there is um, a whole pretty much book and it's so amazing because everything a, a, a vast majority of what happens here in the family islands are, are oratorical they're passed on through word of mouth right and so a lot all a vast majority of traditions are just word of mouth so if you're talking about bush medicine you'd actually have uh, an older person who would carry you into the bush and would tell you this is good for headaches and this is good for stomach aches and this is good for I mean, everything, fertility, um, all sorts. It it's crazy how we we found ourselves so innovative going into the bush and, you know, because we didn't have doctors. And then when it came to taking care of your dead, there were things that they would actually do to ensure that the, the dead were preserved until the funeral service, which would either be held on the island or which would be held on another island, maybe, uh, or just preserved just enough to be transported from one island to the main capital, which would be New Providence. And so um, knowing that they did this, and it's sad to me now because I'm trying my hardest to historically, like I'm researching and trying to find the information um, because I feel that in order to know where I'm going, I have to know where we came from. And so I am trying my hardest to get the information and trying to find out who I can speak to in regard to what we did then and how it's changed now. Well, now we have um, come, we found ourselves fully, fully dependent on um, funeral homes and their directors. And so at this point, it's if someone dies um, in one of the islands, um, there's an opportunity that there's a coroner and there may be a morgue. If we don't have a morgue, they actually know how to preserve um, that that body until they can transfer. So um, just having the opportunity to kind of extend myself with with more information and to be able to pass that information on. I feel honored in that regard. And 
it also is still, I'm still in that awe phase because there's so much I don't know. So you might know this offhand and you might not. On New Providence, is burial or cremation more prevalent at this point? Um, burial is more prevalent. I think it has to do with, once again, being um, being a Christian nation and the type of burials that we, I mean, the type of um, rites that we would prefer would be burial. You're starting to see more persons lean toward crem- cremation. And so those are actually the only two options right, right now, which would be burial and cremation. And this goes back to me spinning like a top because I'm looking for the opportunity to somehow introduce the natural burying, the, the natural burial opportunities. And, um, Hopefully, we're, we can we can look forward to seeing that maybe in another five years or so. But we rely so heavily on burial and cremation at this time. And so, when we're making plans for death, I mean, if you are making plans for death, um, you would actually only have those two options right 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 at this time. I think that really leads us to hope and partnerships and building those partnerships with people that can be allies in getting the natural burial and right. all these other pieces. So you don't have to do it all yourself. You can be a spinning top with other spinning tops. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to actually being able to connect some sort of co-op that, that just connects, you know, a collaborative effect where we have um, even just starting with the funeral homes and the funeral directors and then connecting with them as a doula and then having persons who are in these other areas. It would be so amazing if we can get to that point and knowing that we'd have so many different options and um, so many voices added to it. So I'm, I'm pretty much, there are no words. I'm totally looking forward to that opportunity. I love what you're doing uh, in the islands and bringing it back and, and learning the history is so beautiful. Thank you. you know, it's a continuation of the history. Right. With a little, right. everyone did it themselves and then they didn't quite do that. And then you're bringing it back to them. Right. Wonderful. So because you're so hopeful, what are the rest of your hopes? So having this collaboration and doing this work, what other major hopes do you have for the field of end of life doulas and for your business in general? Okay. Um, for the field Definitely. I'm looking forward to persons being um, a bit more unhesitant, like accepting of it and ready for it. Because what I offer right at this particular point in time, um, I, I'm off, I offer living weeks. And um, I think some people are like, but we have this we have this quote where we say, give me my flowers while I'm alive. And I would love the opportunity to have to plan and plan events where the person, the guest of honor is there. And instead of you having to cry over the fact that they're gone and what you remember, you can actually tell them there, you know, and in this, in this beautiful moment of persons coming together, because we're, we're going to travel for your funeral anyway. So why can't we travel for the celebration of life? And so um, I think once, when it comes to my hopes for the country, my hopes really, really, really start with in just wanting everybody to have an idea of what an end of life doula does. And in them having that idea, they can take that idea and create their own ideas and their own memories and just come to the, come to the doula and say, Hey, this is what I was thinking of. You know, I want them to know that the opportunity is there. I want them to know that there is someone out there who wants to work with them, who wants to, um, leave a legacy on their behalf and if we can just get beyond the fear of dying or the fear of 
oh my gosh, I'm leaving my family behind and I don't know, you know, if we can just get beyond that and start to prepare our families and our friends, our, our loved ones for what's coming next and have an opportunity to be a part of it, especially um, when it comes to like the whole house cleaning. And for you to say, I want this person to have that because they, they like that instead of everybody rushing into the house and the person who really wanted it didn't get it. So if you, you know, I, I just want them to know that the opportunity is there. Unhesitant about death and dying. I love that. And I, yeah, I, I want to make a t-shirt that says that I am unhesitant about death and dying. And where do you know where that quote comes from? Give me my flowers while I'm alive. Is that a Bohemian quote or? You... No, actually, if I'm not mistaken, it's, is it a song? I think it's a song. It's an old song where the person sings, give me my flowers. And I think I've heard it once or twice before, but it's a, it's a Bohemian saying Like we literally say, um, if something happened, child, just give me my flowers while I alive. Don't wait till I dead. That's what they say. <laughs> so great. I, What's coming to me, it's really interesting, is that I was raised in a flower shop. My parents owned a flower shop, and we took flowers to the funeral home all the time. And I was a child, and I went with, and, you know, you get them out of the van, and you go through underneath where the, the bodies are. And they were always covered, for, I think. I don't remember anything weird or anything. But, well, I mean, that's weird enough <laughs> <laughs> that I was, I mean, under 10 years old. And, and they always gave me the wreaths because they were light. So I was always like running through the funeral home with these wreaths. And I thought I grew up thinking that that's normal. <laughs> but you know, there was a lot of flowers. That was a big part of our business, weddings, right. funerals. You know, it is. It, it was like this, oh, they have all these flowers. They can't enjoy those flowers. Exactly. Yes. Why, why are we doing that? I don't Exactly. <laughs> it brings me here. I'm guessing that that's what yeah, so that's what they would say. Older person would always tell you, if, if you want to say something to them, you tell them while they're alive. If you want to do something for them, you do while you're while they're alive. And so they always say, give me my flowers while I'm alive. Oh, shall we all live by that? Yes. Now on out. Anything else that you want people to know? Well, I want you to know that this is an amazing journey. Um, I journeyed with, and if they're interested, I always, people ask me, I've, I've had actually had behemoths and I'm so excited because I've actually had behemoths ask me, so how did you get into it? And I got into it because like I said, I went with going with Grace with Elua Arthur. And I always tell people, I would connect them to the page, let them go ahead and look over the page. But I want persons to know that if you're interested, you don't have to go through the same avenue that I went through. I would always suggest that you go through the avenue that you're comfortable with. And going with Grace was such, such an amazing process and so I that's that's the first thing that I say try going with grace but then I also say you know research it so don't take my word for it go ahead and research if this is what you're interested in and if this is what you're interested in hold your breath and jump that's you know um I also want persons to know that um on my Facebook page which is Janaway Pratt end of life doula if you just want to talk if you just need a moment you just want to breathe I offer uh 30 minutes where you can just breathe on breathe if you want to talk if you want to because right now well last month may was mental health awareness and so um we've had a few suicides here in the country recently and um 
with that, it's it's a lot of back and forth and person saying, oh, you should be like this and oh, you shouldn't do that and oh, it shouldn't happen like that. But um, if you ever need to talk, if you want to talk about grief, if you want to process something, if you just need a moment, you can go to my Facebook page and you can book a session and we can just, if you just want to sit on, like I said, sit there and breathe. I know how important that has been for me. And so as an end of life doula, that is what I offer um, to anyone who needs it at any time. That is amazingly generous of you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. They can find you at Cherish Memory Boutique on Instagram. And then on Facebook, it is Pratt. End of Life Doula. I thank you again. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks again, listeners, for being here. It would mean the world to us if you liked, subscribed, left a comment and shared this video. It means that you are interested in ethical end-of-life conversations and that we should make more of these videos. And please consider becoming a patron. It helps us make this podcast. Thanks, and we will see you in the next episode.